0: Good morning, how are you guys today? Good. Do you guys like pictures? Pictures are fun, right? Sometimes we could draw pictures or maybe take pictures with a camera. Maybe your grandma and grandpa go on a vacation and they take a lot of pictures and they come back and they show you all the pictures of the places that they went. Pictures can be kind of fun because they help us see things that maybe we don't get to see with our own eyes. There's a, a fancy word that's kind of like the word picture, it's the word analogy. An analogy is when we try to make a picture to help us understand something very complicated. So, today we're talking about the Holy Trinity that God is one God and yet three distinct persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's very complicated and very hard for us to understand. So, some people try to come up with some analogies, some pictures to help us better understand God. Like eggs. You guys ever have eggs for breakfast? When you get an egg out of the refrigerator, there's three parts to that egg, right? It has a shell. It's usually white or maybe brown sometimes. Then when you crack the shell open, on the inside you have the egg white and the egg yolk. One egg, three parts. And some people think, oh, maybe that's what God is like. One God, three parts. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Well, that's a bad analogy. That's a bad picture. Do you know why? The Bible does not say that the Father is part of God, that the Son is part of God, that the Holy Spirit is part of God. The Bible just says that the Father is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, that the Son is God, not a part of God. So that doesn't really help. Then you might be old enough to know that water can take three different forms. When you drink water, it's liquid, right? If you put water in the freezer, what happens? Anybody know? It gets really hard, right? It turns into a solid. We call that ice. And if you put water on the stove and you start boiling it, what happens to the water? Steam starts to come off, right? It turns into a gas. So you can have solid, liquid, Gas, but it's always water, three different forms. And some people thought, oh, maybe that's a good analogy to help us understand God. One God, three forms. That doesn't work either. The Bible does not say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different forms of the same God. The Bible says the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It's hard for us to understand. In fact, our little human brains cannot understand it. And I suppose that kind of makes sense. God is so much bigger than us. God is eternal. That means he has no beginning and no end. Does that make sense to you? No. I can't imagine anything that has no beginning and no end. God is all-powerful. He knows everything. He's present everywhere. There's a lot of things about God that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Today, we're going to talk about how the Trinity, the idea that God is one God, but three persons, is something that we will never fully understand in this life. But we can marvel at it. We can appreciate it, especially when we learn that this triune God wants to be with you and me. He sent Jesus to be our Savior so that we could be with him, so that we could be in a relationship with him, just as the triune God has been in relationship with itself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for all eternity. God wants to bring us into that relationship. And thanks to Jesus, we are. Let's pray. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for creating us for giving us everything we need to live here in this life. We thank you for saving us from sin, death, and hell. And we thank you for creating faith in our heart, which understands that we are sinful and that you have saved us. Help us to marvel today at who you are and what you're like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a little while today is the very closing words of Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, We'll read it now and then we'll come back to it at the end of our sermon. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. How many times do you think you've heard those words in your life? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I figure if you count up every time you've gone to church your whole life and then multiply by two or three, you'll be pretty close, right? Just about every service begins with those words, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We hear those words again at the end of the confession and absolution portion in most of our services where I have the privilege as a called servant of Christ and by his authority to forgive you all your sins. And of course, we always do that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For many of you, I'm guessing the very first time you heard those words was at your baptism, when you were baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, where this triune God placed his name on you. As with anything that we hear a lot, it's good for us to think about where it comes from, what it means. It's not just some church ritual that we do It's the word of God. This is how God describes himself. We heard it referenced in the creation account when we hear about the spirit of God hovering over the waters and God says, let us create man in our image, speaking in the plural. We heard it referenced again in the Great Commission when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we heard it again referenced at the end of this reading. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The triune God is referenced all over the scriptures. Three persons, one God. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus had just gotten done doing Uh, logical battle with the Pharisees and this group of people called the Sadducees who denied the resurrection from the dead. We focused on that a couple months ago. And as he gave such a beautiful answer to these resurrection-denying Sadducees, a teacher of the law came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he went on to summarize the Ten Commandments the way the Old Testament does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But he did so after saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So one God, clear Not three gods, just one. But the Bible is also clear, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Analogies like the ones that I mentioned in the children's devotion, and there's many more like the sun. This is probably the most logical of them all. The sun is a burning ball of gas That is perceived by you and me, especially on warm summer days like this, in two very specific ways, right? You see it, light, and you feel it, heat. So the idea then is that God is like this big burning ball of gas that is perceived in two ways, light and heat. And what do the scriptures call Jesus? The light of the world, The Holy Spirit is often pictured with fire. There's a baptism by the Holy Spirit and with fire. There was the tongues of fire on the heads of the disciples Pentecost Day. That makes sense. But that's not what the scriptures say. The Son and the Holy Spirit are not projections of the Father. Three distinct persons, each fully God. Yet not three gods, but one. Uh, There's an old pastor by the name of Augustine. Maybe you've heard of him, an early church father. He once said that trying to wrap your mind around this is like a little kid going to the beach with their sand pail and trying to scoop up the whole ocean in that sand pail. We can't do it. Another analogy, not original to me, not an analogy to explain God, but to help us understand how complicated this is for us. Uh, maybe you'll find this helpful. Uh, imagine you exist in two dimensions. You know height and you know width, but you know nothing about depth, just height and width. Then someone who does exist in three dimensions comes to you and they try to explain to you this mysterious concept of a cube, six square sides. They even draw it out for you, but all you see are lines and shapes. It's perfectly drawn with depth. And if you understood depth, you'd be able to see it, but you just can't because all you know are width and height. It's kind of what it's like for us. God has always existed, even outside of time and space, even before Time and space had been created. And here we are, you and me, flesh and blood, living in time and living in space, trying to wrap our minds around God who is beyond time and space. It's just not something that we're able to do. We cannot take these minds and wrap them around who God is and fully comprehend what he is like. And yet we can marvel We can stand in awe at the triune God. The Father sends his Spirit. The Spirit descends on the Son in the form of a dove. The Son prays to the Father. The Holy Trinity interacting with each other, demonstrated on the pages of Scripture, communicating with one another, supporting one another in perfect relationship for all eternity. Phil and Vicki were here on Thursday night. You might know that Vicky taught kindergarten for many years. And when she would teach kids to draw a circle, they would have to start somewhere, right? Put the pen down, draw your circle, end where you started, right? If a kid did it really good, maybe you'd have a hard time figuring out where they started and where they ended, But when we draw circles, they always have a beginning and they always have an end, right? Can you imagine a circle, perfect circle, that has no beginning and no end? I suppose that's kind of like our God. Perfect unity, perfect harmony. And then what happens? He creates. He creates the universe. He creates life. The Holy Spirit breathes life into flesh and blood creatures like you and me. In the image of God, we're created and we're told in Scripture that God knew that we would fall because he chose us before the creation of the world to be redeemed by Christ, who he also chose from before the creation of the world to be our Savior. So he creates... These beings who he knows are going to want to be gods themselves, who are going to reject him and chase after pleasure and deny the truth, and he still creates us. Then he saves us and he lets us watch him do it. On the pages of scripture, he he predicts it over the course of 1,500 years so that we can't miss what's happening when the Savior finally comes. And then, marvel of all marvels, what happens on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had been in perfect harmony, perfect relationship, perfect communication, perfect community for eternity, there had never been a time when they weren't in perfect relationship and then all of a sudden on the cross, as sin, our sin is placed on God's son, somehow that relationship is broken? That circle broken? The relationship between father and son broken? How does that work? How does that happen? I don't know, but it did The relationship between father and son is broken. Why? Well, I guess for starters, because that's what sin does. Sin breaks relationships. You know that. You know that sin between two human beings will destroy that relationship or at least damage it sometimes beyond repair. The divorce rates in our country are skyrocketing. Young people are less and less interested in considering marriage a viable option. I suppose in a way you can understand why because people are sinful. You see it happen enough as a young person. You see how damaging sin can be. Maybe a person thinks, you know what? It'd be easier if I just take care of myself. I don't have to worry about getting into a relationship with another person because sin breaks relationships. God takes our sin, our lust, our pride, Everything we've ever done that is at variance with God's will and he places it on the Son and he treats his own Son as though he were the one to commit those sins and that broke the relationship between the Father and the Son. And in so doing, this amazing thing happens. We are able to be brought into relationship with the triune God. Remember on Good Friday how we talked about at the very end of Jesus' seven words on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right after he says it's finished. When the work of saving mankind is done, there stands the Father again, in perfect relationship with his Son once again. And Jesus calls him Father. They're back in perfect relationship. The, The Trinity restored But now you and I are welcomed into relationship with this marvelous God. How do we talk about this? How do we marvel at this? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to wrap our minds around who God is and what he's like. And yet how wonderful it is to know that this is who our God is. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus' desire is that we would be made one with God and that we would be made one with each other. And that brings us to close with our text for today. We're not going to go through all the controversy that took place in Corinth, Maybe this week you open up your Bible and you just page through the two Corinthian letters and just look even by skimming just the headings of the sections and get a bit of a reminder as to all the awful things that were happening in this young church in Corinth. They were sinners. Their sin was destroying their relationships with one another as sin always does and yet for them, who by God's grace had been brought to know the forgiveness that they have in Jesus, Paul desires their unity. That they would be perfectly united with one another. Not to earn the favor of the triune God, but because that's what the gospel has won for us. Unity with the triune God and then unity with one another. And so hear these words again, spoken now to you. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Even when it hurts, Even when the sins committed against you hurt so much, strive for full restoration, full unity. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I suppose you can decide if you actually do that on the way out today or not. (laughs) All God's people here send their greetings.